Welcome to yet another episode of the Renactor's Corner. In this episode, we're going to talk about Renactor burnout, because it is quite a problem when Renactors don't want to do their hobby anymore. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Reenactors Corner podcast. This is Chris here again with Lassa. How are you doing today, Lassa? Well, my shoulder uh, kind of aches today and it's sort of uh, annoying, but other than that, I'm actually very fine. I went out and uh, shot a few videos with a friend yesterday, so that was fun. Uh, what about you? I'm doing pretty good. I actually have an ache too. My back is sore. Um, I did like a reenactment over the weekend and I was digging some, and I slept on the ground, and now my back is sore. Um, I also had to carry my gear up a hill a few times. I don't, I'm not sure if my sore back is definitely related to the weekend, but it certainly could be. Or maybe I just slept on it wrong, you know, I don't know. Ah, well, could be. So today's episode, we have a lot to talk about. We are going to talk about reenactor burnout, what, what it is, what causes it, how to avoid it, and what to do if you start feeling it. This was an idea that was sent in uh, by a listener, and I appreciate it. I think it was a great idea for an episode. Totally. Um, Renactor burnout can can and probably will hit every Renactor, and um, it's. I think it's important to be aware of the reasons and what you can do to avoid it and all of that. Yeah, let's start off. You know, just talk about like, okay, well, what do we mean by reenactor burnout for people who aren't familiar with this term? Basically, um, you know, burnout is just what happens when you're putting a lot of energy into something, you're passionate about something, uh, and then for one reason or another, you know, the passion fades or the passion's gone and you don't want to deal with it anymore. You don't want to think about it anymore. You don't want to do it anymore. Or, you know, this, this can take a bunch of different forms. This is kind of what happens when people quit the hobby. Um, or it can be on a much smaller scale where you've been planning for an event uh, and now it's time to pack up because you're leaving in the morning and you just would rather do absolutely anything but go to that event, you know. Um, it's... It's something that I think everybody can relate to on some level, right? I mean, I certainly know the feeling of um, looking to an upcoming event and just not wanting to go, hoping it gets canceled, you know, hoping I can, or, or just wanting to get it over with, you know? So uh, so in this episode, we're going to talk about some, like, reasons why that happens and, and some strategies to hopefully make that not happen. Yeah, I've uh, I've been there myself, so I guess the number one reason why I think in in my experience reenactors burn out and this isn't going to be a surprise to anybody really, but it's that they're doing too many events. Um, you know, everybody has a limited amount of free time and reenacting is a hobby that is one of many different things that um compete with each other for your time and for your attention and there is a limit to how many events a person can do Uh, and you maybe you really really love reenacting and you just absolutely want to do all the events 
and that's great if you really have that much time but most people really don't you know um i i often think about like world war one reenactment which is kind of a parallel hobby sort of to the world war ii stuff that i do they have a site um here on the east coast in pennsylvania that is a replica of a world war one trench system it's a really cool site they own it uh, they have bunkers there where they sleep it's it's really awesome and they have two events there every year. And, and I remember looking at that when I was kind of starting reenacting and being like, geez, I can't, why do they only have two every year? I would think they would have one event every month. You know, they've got this awesome site. But um, as time has gone on, I have really kind of realized the wisdom of that, where I do more than two events every year. Sometimes I'll do two events in a month. But if I only did two events in a year... If I had six months to plan for the event, to coordinate with other people, to get excited for it, to, you know, six whole months to get my kit together, pack up my gear, all of this stuff, and then really try to make the most out of that event and walk walk away from it excited for the next event that's in six months, I think that would be great. Um, you know, I, I, I can see why they do that. Um, of course, I, I, I really love reenacting. I... I probably would want to do more than two events a year in any case, but, uh, you know, definitely there is, there can be too much because reenactment events, they, it takes a lot of effort and they can be expensive. Like it's for a regular event. I think one time I kind of sat down and did some math and it was basically impossible for me to do any kind of event really for less than like a hundred bucks, you know, and, and that's not in a tiny amount of money, right? That's a significant outlay on a weekend. And, um, obviously everybody has chores, everybody has friends, other people in their lives and reenactment is a thing that kind of competes with that. So, um, you know, you, I, that's, like I say, I think doing too many events is the number one cause of, uh, reenactor burnout. Now, last, I know you, you might not have opportunities to do as many events all the time, right? So maybe that's not so much of a problem for your guys or is it? Well, we have had the issue that was early in the unit. We actually tried to pump in as many events as absolutely possible. And we would, uh, through like the high season of the summer, we would have uh, like um, four events uh, in four weeks. And that was, uh, I mean, it was fun, but it was very heavy. Yeah, it, it can be fun to do events all the time, but uh, it's just a super drain. You know, when people are at different um, points in their lives, right? Like your average reenactment group is going to have maybe some high school kids, possibly. It might have some college age kids and some kind of young single people. And it might have some uh, family, you know, guys who have kids. And all of those people are going to have a different level of free time on the weekends. You know, there have been times in my life when I've been free. Basically, any weekend anybody wanted to do anything, I was there. You know, at other times in my time as a reenactor, it's been really hard to squeeze out a weekend a month, you know, or a weekend every other month even. So I at one time, we had like a crew of guys who were just like down to do absolutely anything on any weekend. And, and that was pretty cool. It was always something to do. We would do, even if there wasn't like a reenactment event, we would go on hikes or, or do uh, work parties or do other kinds of reenactment kind of related activities. Um, 
it would be hard for me to do that now. Um, and it's, it wasn't something that we could keep up forever, right? You know, people come and go, people have their jobs mm. change, you know, a, a lot of people now I know are working like two part-time jobs or their job requires them to work weekends, whereas maybe that wasn't so common a few years ago. So, um, you know, I think, I think people need to kind of be honest with themselves. Reenacting is super fun. You may want to do an event every weekend. You may want to do as much as you possibly can, but that's a pace that you're not going to be able to sustain forever. And most people are not going to be able to really do that at all. Um, so, you know, I guess the thing to do is just be aware that this is a, this can lead to a potential problem can lead to you becoming dissatisfied. Yeah. Uh, and that's something I uh, try to tell the younger members of the unit as well, because we have some guys who uh, they're in school and during the summer they're out of school. So they have all the time in their lives and they uh, keep on asking, like, why don't we have an event every other week? And it's like for the rest of the unit who has, um, you know, as you say, jobs and family and friends and possibly other hobbies and other stuff to do. They're, uh, it's like difficult for the young ones to just grasp that uh, doing it every second week will lead to a burnout, even though they don't feel it will lead to a burnout right there and then because they're so excited for this awesome hobby. I don't think it's actually like good or healthy necessarily to spend half your weekends pretending that you're in World War II, um, especially when you're like a, a really young person, right? These are formative years. You got to be out there, you know, meeting girls and making friends and, you know, creating and fostering connections with other people that might help you in your personal life and your professional life or whatever it is. And, you know, reenacting certainly is a lot of fun, but um, it shouldn't be getting in the way of you like developing as a person and living your life. And this is actually something that can happen. You know, I've, I've seen this happen years ago with some high school kids where they just, they became so focused on reenacting that I think other aspects of their personal life suffered, you know, and I, I, on some level, sometimes I really regret that I didn't get started in reenacting until I was 21 years old um, because there were, were awesome events that I didn't know about that I could have been at, you know, in the 90s or whatever when I was a teenager. But on another level, maybe it's for the best because, um, I don't know, I might have gotten into trouble doing it when I was a teenager and more dumb or you know it might have gotten in the way of other things other hobbies that I had that eventually went on to be to add you know richness and satisfaction to my life so I agree with you the other the other thing about it is that how many events you can do on some level is a function of how many different event sites that you can use because I in my experience when you're using the same site all the time Unless that site is like so magical and so perfect, but, but even in that case to some extent, you just get sick of going to the same place. Any place has its own unique things and its own unique opportunities for reenacting. And um, if you do events at a bunch of different sites, then each one of those events can be a little different just by nature of that it's at a different place that has, that has different things to offer. But if you're doing, you know, 
four or six events a year at the same place, it, it, people I find, um, you know, I've seen this happen before. There was a site here in New England years ago now, almost 20, probably 20 years ago now, that used to have events like two events a month. And uh, almost nobody went. The site was great, but every time the event came up, you'd be thinking, oh, well, you know, uh, the weather's not great, or actually, I, I'm supposed to mow the lawn this weekend, or I was supposed to uh, do, do help my friend move <laughs> or whatever. I'm, I'm just going to go to the one that's in two weeks. And then you would think that every time, you know, every time. It's like, well, I, I'm not going to make a priority out of going to this one because there's another one in two weeks anyway. And so nobody went. You know, and eventually they basically stopped having events for years at that site, even though it was a great site, because everyone was just sick of going there. And um, so in my old group, we kind of had a, a sort of a rule, kind of an unofficial rule, but it was something that we all thought about when we made our schedule every year, which was that we would, if an event had more than one event in a year, that's great, but we would prioritize going to one. We would pick one and be like, okay, this if people want to go to more events, that's great, but this is the one event at this site this year that we're going to try to make a max effort priority. And I thought that was a system that, that worked out pretty good for us. Yeah, and back to that uh, World War One area you talked about, I feel like um, the, the place has like an event uh, twice a year, but... Um, let's say different World War One units could have, could like go there and or go to other places and have events uh, more often as well. And something you say with uh, there's always one like two weeks later because uh, what we noticed uh, early on in the unit was that when we had events often, not even at the same place, but just like events very often. Let's say in the high season of the summer we had. Um, one event every two weeks for like two to three months straight. And what happened was that people didn't show up to them. Uh, we would have maybe four or five guys every event. But when we tried to like have uh, one event every month or one event every two months, then we saw that we suddenly had 10, 12, 13 guys at like one event. You know, as, as event frequency increases, the number of people, the percentage of the unit that makes it to each event goes down. I, in my exactly. old group, we used to try to do one event a month. And that was a really good tempo for me for a very long time. Um, of course, we had a bunch of advantages at that time where there were a lot of events, there were a lot of different local sites. Um, we had a lot going on. Now, or even like pre-corona, there are some of the sites that we used to use that we used to have really great events at here in my region. There are no events there anymore. And we have some new sites and uh, other sites that we can use. Um, but at this point in my life, personally, I feel like eight events a year or something would be perfect for me. Where maybe um, there's... A bunch of events in the in the fall when the weather is really really nice and reenacting is best and there are some events in the winter at places where you can get warm when you have to and some events in the spring and maybe an event in the summer even though the it might be really hot and it might be uncomfortable you know try to do something in the summertime something like a, a schedule like that i find works best for me but it's going to be different for everybody 
But I, even, I would probably tell people if someone was interested in joining my group now and they said, you know, how many events do you do? I'd tell them we probably do, we probably do something once a month or, or close to that, you know, 10 to 12 events a year, maybe I'd say. Yeah, that's what we say as well. And I'm starting to feel that a good tempo for me would be one um, good event every two months uh, these days. But like, yeah, every half month I could like, meet the guys or like work on the barracks building or the track or something like that like something social but not necessarily an event that sounds great to me yeah um because especially if you if you're doing one event every other month you know sometimes uh maybe you could take friday off work or whatever guys who work monday through friday maybe get to the site on thursday even you know have a little bit of a longer event which I mean, doing an event that is just for a day can be fun. Doing an event with one overnight is certainly uh, a good time. But if you could do two nights, three nights, you know, it adds another dimension to the event, you know, and you're living, you're really living out there for a few days. Um, and, you know, most people aren't going to be able to do that every every week, certainly, and probably not every month, you know. So that's when, when events are less frequent, there's more opportunity for stuff like that. Exactly, and I feel that raises the quality more. But then again, it should be said like every two months kind of averages out of the year. So, um, uh, I mean, during the high season, we will have an event every month. But during the off season, uh, we may not have any events in December, for example. Or uh, maybe we'll wait till late January. Something like that. Like it just spreads out. Like it's not even throughout the year. Yeah, it's the same with me. There was a few years where from the end of September through the end of October, I would do an event every um, every two weeks. You know, at one point I had done six events in two months, you know, and uh, that's hard. That's that's grueling. And by the end of that, though, I was ready for a break. I probably didn't do an, I didn't do any event for two months or something, you know. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the counterpoint to the too many events burnout issue is that I think that reenactors can get burned out from doing too few events. Um, this is a thing that I think can happen when people are passionate about the hobby, they're thinking about it all the time, they're working on their kit, uh, they're, they're talking to other reenactors, they're on Facebook, you know, learning about it, doing the research, uh, but the events are coming up very infrequently or they haven't gone very long they've gone a long time without doing an event and you you kind of there's two things i think that can happen number one i think that um basically you're putting in a lot of work and not really getting the reward that is the event and that can be very dissatisfying um and the other thing is is that you kind of need events I mean, events are how really we participate in this hobby. All that other stuff can be fun and good, but the reenactment events is what reenacting is. And um, you need a certain pace of events in order to hold your interest, to give you something to be excited about, something that you can plan for, a project that you can work on. And when you get away from that, I think it can become easy to just... I don't know, you get used to not going to the events and then now there's an event that you could go to and you haven't been in a while and it's like, you know what, I'm not going to go. I don't really feel like going. It doesn't appeal to me. I haven't been to an event. You know, I'm going to skip this one and then you skip the next one and the next thing you know, 
it's been years since you've been to an event and you're not even really a reenactor anymore. And it's like, why do I even have all of this stuff? Why am I even working on this stuff? I don't even go to the events. Um, this is something that I think can happen to people. And I'm, I'm actually really curious to see what happens with, uh, like, you know, we'll hopefully be coming this year out of this COVID-19 lockdown situation. And, um, Part of me hopes that there will just be an explosion of reenacting, that when events happen, all these people who have been cooped up in their homes and quarantined or just not able to do things that they wanted to do, they're going to get it out there. They're going to get out there and maybe they've been working on their kits during coronavirus and they're going to be better than ever and they're going to give it their all. But there's another part of me that wonders how many people were basically participating in this hobby mostly through the inertia, you know, just the rhythm of their lives. You know, they plan on doing this event in August and this event in September, and they didn't do those things last year. And when those events come around again this year, you know, maybe they'll, maybe they realize they, maybe they've fallen out of touch with it. You know, I don't know. So I guess, I guess we'll see. Yeah. Well, that's actually a good point. Maybe it'll be more like 50-50, so like in numbers there will be absolutely no change. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, only time will tell what, what reenactment will look like, but I definitely think with regard to event frequency, there's a sweet spot. I think too many causes you to, can cause you to burn out, for sure. Too few can cause you to become frustrated because you're not actually doing it, or can cause you to just fall out of touch with the hobby and you drift away and eventually you're not doing it anymore. You know, so um, event frequency is something people really, I think, need to think about. Yeah. Your reenactment kit, all the gear and uniforms that you use, it's an expensive thing. It's cool to own this stuff, right? It's fun. I don't know. There is a joy in owning this stuff. It is cool. I like the stuff. But it takes up a bunch of space, costs money. And people are going to, you know, ask themselves, does it make sense for me to store this stuff and to maintain it and to have it all if I'm not really getting out there and using it? The challenge, I see people putting together kits for other time periods where they only do one event a year or something like that. And... There just aren't, it just seems very hard for those aspects of the hobby to sustain themselves. You know, people will post pictures of their kits on Instagram and do social media stuff. But when there's only one event and it's, you know, only local to so many people, it's just doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem to build, build anything that really lasts. Another thing that I think that I know causes reenactor burnout is uh, when stuff just becomes too repetitive and there's not enough variety. You know, this kind of circles back a little bit to what I was talking about earlier with the sites, you know, that if you're doing an event at the same site all the time, it can become boring. But there's a bunch of different uh, ways that you can look at this. Like, there are different styles of events, right? Like, if you only do public displays, I imagine that must get pretty dreadful. If you only do tacticals, that maybe gets old, you know? Um, so you can vary the types of events that you do. You can vary what you do at the events. Like for me, most of the time when I go to an event, I'm portraying a uh, World War II German security troop guy in the field. But sometimes I'll go to events where we're portraying garrison troops. And sometimes I'll go to events where I'm portraying like a clerical uh, personnel, you know, in sort of a headquarters type setting. And these things are all kind of very different. So they're different the way I do the event is different, the way I feel about the event, what I bring, all that stuff's all different. So, um, you know, I'm kind of lucky in that I have this variety. I also do a, a Soviet impression, so that's totally different, you know, and I do some events as that. So 
it's not like every event is the same. People who only have, you know, they only portray a a rifleman in the in a in the field, a frontline combat rifleman, and that's all. Well, that's that's an exciting thing to portray, right? Because you're in battles, fake battles, and it can be fun, it can be exciting. But um, I think eventually, if you stick with the hobby, you're going to want to maybe look at some other different sub-impressions or different niches, even within being a rifleman. You know, there are different aspects of it. Okay, I want to maybe do some events that are earlier war, you know, as well as late war or... Um, you know, some something like that you could portray. I don't know a sniper or do some kind of uh, medical or pioneer thing. You know, there's a million different things that you can do. Some of them are huge changes, like having a whole other impression. Some of them are very subtle, like just approaching your existing impression differently for an event or two. But uh, you know, you need to be able to change it up. I've been reenacting for 20 years. And there's always something new for me to do. I can always find some some new wrinkle to add. You know, even if it's just, you know, I've, I did some research. I found some new recipes in a Wehrmacht cookbook. This event, I'm going to eat something I never ate before. I'm going to try sleeping a way, you know, that I've never slept before. Or cooking in a different way or whatever it is, right? There's always something. So, uh, But you've got to be able to keep finding that stuff. Because otherwise it just gets stale, I think. Yeah, no, variation is key for not getting burnout, in my opinion. Um, even if you only do public displays, like you can vary what you um, display, basically. Maybe you'll do a frontline MG position, uh, rear line, um, um, you know, office headquarters setup. And even if you do... Um, even if you vary the style of events, like um, varying uh, what you do at the different events helps too. Like, yeah, if you are in the field, maybe try a unit focus on, for example, telecommunications, and on the next one you can focus on like patrols and all of that kind of stuff. And it just it just adds a variation. To some extent, that falls on unit leaders. You know, to, to try to make things different for the guys. Say, okay, there's an event coming up. How are we going to make this a little different? Okay, this event, we're going to do training in the field. You know, we're going to go over rifle drill. And then the next event, uh, we're going to try digging some field positions. You know, even if we have to fill them in afterward. Um, and then the next event, maybe is we're going to feature a long march. You know, and everyone will have to bring their packs and we'll... Uh, will be on the move and living out of our packs for a day or whatever it is. There's Even if you only have one site, um, you just have to find ways to, to make the events different or people will get tired and you know people won't want to come to the next one if it's the same thing over and over. Uh, yeah. It's different for every unit in every region. Some units, in some regions, they you know an event happens at a site and then there's no expectation that an event will happen there ever again and you know that was cool and we went to this place and it's over other times and for a while for me we had so many good annual events that i knew from one year to the next you know 80 percent of all the events that i was going to do and what weekend they were on you know and and that becomes uh that's kind of its own challenge right when you're doing the same events year after year to keep them fresh but there's, there's ways to do this. It requires a little bit of creativity. It requires from some initiative from the unit leader. you know. And if you're in a unit and the guys that you're working with are doing the same thing all the time and it's getting old for you, I mean, 
speak up about it, I guess, and, uh, you know, maybe do some thinking on your own, try to come up with some ways that you could do things in some way that's a little different. And Yeah, communication is key to get new stuff done. Another reason why I think people get burned out is when the expectations of the events do not match reality. And that is, I've seen this time and time again where an event is promoted very heavily on the internet. People are really excited about it. Maybe the unit uh, leader really wants everybody to go. They want to have a really good turnout at the event. So they're pumping it up. They're promoting it. They're calling people, you know, this event is going to be absolutely super awesome. You got to get out there. It's going to be like nothing you've ever done before. And then maybe the event is super awesome and it's like nothing you've done before. Or maybe... um, the event's not that great, or it's pretty much it's pretty much like the last one, or maybe it sucks, and that kind of stuff. When your expectation is set really, really high, and then the event doesn't meet that expectation, that's like a real blow to reenactor morale, in my experience. That could cause a lot of bitterness, and uh, you know, there you've got to try to not not do that. There's there's like a few different ways around that. You know, one of the things for me as uh, the guy in charge of my group, I try to manage people's expectations. You know, when even when uh, we're going to an event that's being very heavily promoted on the internet and people are saying it's going to be the most immersive experience that anybody has happened and the most realistic thing that has happened since 1945, you know, I am kind of there to remind my guys, okay, I'm sure we're going to have fun, but, you know, keep in mind the reality of this event is maybe not going to be, you know, what's being promoted about it, you know, or, um, or just tell people, look, we haven't been to this event before. People say it's great. It looks really great, but we don't really know. So, you know, we're going in there and it's a question mark and we're going to have an open mind and try to have fun. But, you know, all the while knowing we don't actually really know what exactly to expect. Um, yeah. And if some, to some extent, that falls on the individual reenactor as well. You just have to know that um, I think some reenactors can get really sucked into like the social media aspect of reenacting and just, you know, okay, I am going to do this event and there is not going to be a single thing that is going to happen that is going to be different from, uh, from World War II. And every detail of this event is going to be absolutely perfect. and It's going to be the best event that anyone has ever been to. And then you go to the event and it's never, ever like that. It's never really like that, you know, but if you thought, if you kind of bought into that and really believe that it's not like that and you get disappointed. Yeah, no, I've seen people who have had very high expectations for certain events, um, go to events and be, um, you know, let down under expectations and then we don't see them at an event for like several months, maybe even like yeah, nine months. That's like one of two things that I find in my group really lead to attendance dropping. It, there are two things. Number one, when an event is expected to be great and it's not, then suddenly I, I don't see people for a little while. And then the other thing is when people work to prepare for an event and then the event gets canceled that really hurts the unit because people have put in all of this effort and then there was no payoff at the end no reward and then now you know a month or two later i'm asking them to put in effort to plan for another event and consciously or subconsciously they're thinking 
why why even bother? You know, is this even going to happen? Yeah, I had that on my unit. Another thing that I think causes people to get burned out is personality conflicts and drama. Um, this is an aspect of reenacting that's really ugly, really unpleasant. Some people do an absolutely excellent job of never getting involved in this stuff. Other people are who are involved in reenacting are toxic and negative and will create this stuff. Not only will participate in it, but actually, you know, seek it out or create it where it doesn't exist. And it comes in a lot of different forms. It can come in the form of interunit rivalries or rivalries with other people in your own group if people are like jockeying for promotions or whatever or just guys in the hobby that you don't like or internet uh, trash talking or you know whatever right this there's um, this exists in any hobby it exists in any workplace it exists in any community in any place where people are working together you're gonna have things like you know there's going to be jealousy issues there's just going to be i don't know trust issues or you know look and people have different personalities and sometimes people just don't get along this is like unavoidable uh, i'm not saying that this is some kind of major problem that's endemic to reenactment that needs to be rooted out it's never going to get rooted out and it's and it's not unique to reenacting it's just how human beings are it's how human beings socialize and exist, and you know it. It has a but has a part in reenacting. But if it has too much of a part in reenacting, it can really offset the fun of it. You know, it can really um, make it not worth it if it becomes too much. And um, you know, I just think everybody in reenacting needs to be aware that toxic attitudes and infighting and you know drama some some level of competition is good some level of rivalry is good it it causes you to bring out your your best game it causes you to mm, certainly you know uh, it, it, so that's okay you know you you want to show off because you've put effort into this thing and you know I think about like some like the event Lasso that you went to um, at Fort Indian Town Gap in Pennsylvania. This event was a really big event, and you'd get like more than a thousand reenactors there, and everybody knew that everybody was going to be there. So you wanted to bring your very best effort because you knew that people were going to see it. You know, if you could bring out all your vehicles, bring out all your big toys, you know, bring out all the guys and like practice marching and singing, and like that if you could have a, a convoy going down the street with columns of um, marching troops perfectly executing the commands and singing in unison. I mean, everybody's going to see that and everyone's going to think it's awesome. You know, so people would do that kind of stuff. But that can be different from some of the really negative stuff where, um, you know, unit rivalry gets to the point where the members of the two units actually hate each other. You know, and your unit commander is forbidding you from being friends on Facebook with people in the other unit. I mean, this kind of stuff happens. I've seen this kind of stuff, and uh, some, me too. Yeah, it it can be it can be a real nightmare. 
and it can really uh, interfere with people's motivation for being in the hobby. Everybody gets in a World War II reenacting because they think it's fun. Nobody gets in a World War II reenacting because they think it's going to give them an opportunity to defeat other people on the internet or to have more enemies, you know? Yeah, no, when it comes to, like, uh, drama, be it, uh, like, towards certain persons or towards, like, units, um, uh, it is probably the one thing that I've uh, seen people leave from, like, the most. Um, we have lost many great guys to drama, and uh, I have, as a unit commander, I probably... I do spend quite a lot of time just, um, you know, juggling conflicts, getting them solved before they uh, escalate to something stupid. Part of the advantage of having units as a whole is that if, if in theory there's some kind of really, really bad drama that's being created between me and somebody else or between somebody in my group and someone in another group, as the unit commander I could... You know, and that this would be only an extreme situation, but I could reach out to the to that guy's unit commander or whatever and say, hey, you know, our two units need to be able to work together in reenacting. We participate in the same events. There's this issue here. Um, you know, I don't know this guy very well, uh, and maybe I don't know the whole facts of the story, but I think it would be in everybody's best interest if we could resolve this dispute. You know, and uh, and and disputes can get resolved that way. You know, there was a guy years ago in my reenactment group who sold a bunch of stuff on the internet, and then things got real busy for him, and he wasn't sending the stuff out in a timely way. So people weren't getting the stuff, and he wasn't doing a very good job of communicating with them. So I started to get messages, "Hey, is this guy in your group?" And he was, you know, and I wasn't aware of this problem. But you can be sure. That I made sure, you know, hey, what's it going to take? Am I going to have to go to your house and get this stuff and ship it out? Because I can't have our unit reputation hurt if people are deciding that you're a scammer because you're you're being lazy about shipping these packages and you're not responding to your emails, you know? And, and I was able to resolve these problems and it worked out and everything was fine. Um, so, you know, having people in units kind of can facilitate defusing some of this drama it's a kind of a way to hold people accountable you know and certainly if there was somebody in my group that was creating toxic drama that was creating problems with other people in the hobby he wouldn't be in my group anymore and in fact we have some some rules in my group with regard to uh, participating in reenactment discussion on the internet uh, you're not allowed to make negative I don't want to see anybody in my group making public negative comments about any other reenactor or uh, any other reenactment event. You know, I don't love every reenactment event that happens, but maybe other people, some people do, and that's fine. I'm not going to talk shit on events that I don't want to go to. I'm just not going to go, you know, and um, I would rather lead by example than talk shit about somebody else's interpretation of World War II reenacting. You know, everybody's going to have a different approach. That's okay. There's reenactment styles for absolutely everybody i don't have to agree with it um yeah that's a good policy i think yeah it's in our handbook you know we have a social media policy and um it's i'm never going to tell people you know what they can and can't do on the internet you know in the great wider scheme of things i mean i understand people um are going to have different political opinions. They're going to, 
you know, express those in different ways. But as far as how we relate to reenactment on the Internet, you know, it's I've seen this cause problems many, many, many times where somebody they uh, they find a picture on the Internet that shows something that they think is dumb. They post it. Hey, look at these clowns. Um, well, those clowns are like real people and those clowns are going to see that and they are now not going to like you. And, oh, guess what? It turns out that those clowns have like an influential role at some event that they've been participating in for 15 years that you wanted to do. And now your unit's not invited, you know, and and that's and whose fault is that? You know, so to the way around that stuff is just not to not to get involved with any of that stuff at all and just, you know, stay above it. It's unnecessary as well. It's just being a jerk on some level. Right. It's like just not good form. It's bad manners. Exactly. So having talked about some reasons why reenactors uh, burn out, let's discuss some ways that people who are not burned out can avoid getting burned out. Um, you know, and we've, we've touched on some of this stuff already. Uh, I think the biggest thing is just to be honest with yourself and take a hard look at the events that you do and understand that nobody can do every single event there are always going to have to be compromises there are going to be things that you aren't going to be able to go to so look at the events that you could participate in and do the best ones do the ones that are most fun don't overextend yourself make sure that you're you know betting on a winning horse as much as you can um if there's an event it's pr I think it's better to um, try really hard to go to an event that it, maybe it requires a lot of work on your part, but it's going to be absolutely an incredible, unforgettable experience with all your guys. It's better to do that than to go to three or four local events that are just one day, part of the day, and you just say hi, and there's only a few people there, and you don't really do anything, you know, so... Um, you just kind of, kind of got to think about, make a strategy of, okay, what events can I go to that are just going to yield the maximum reward? If I can only do so many events, which ones are going to be the ones that are going to be the most memorable, the most satisfying, the most rewarding, and then do those? Um, I totally agree with that sentiment. If you do have a limited time to attend to events, attend the ones that are most fun for you. It's your hobby, after all. Right. You're ultimately responsible for you having a good time. And so you have to take that responsibility and think, all right, what is it that I like to do in reenacting? You know, maybe there are certain types of events that you absolutely love. Maybe there are certain types of events you really don't even like. You know, don't force yourself to go to events that you don't like. You're, you're not spending lots of money and lots of time to do something you don't like. Right. It's not sustainable. You know, I would also say, think about how the effort that you put into events are you spending hours and hours over weeks trying to make uh you know minute by minute scheduled plans for events where you can't actually control how the event's going to go you know because that that can lead to burnout or kind of over planning for events and then you, the the plan goes out the window when the event starts and you realize you wasted all your time I feel that goes back to like uh, when you plan a lot and the event gets cancelled. 
like if you plan a lot and you go there and none of your plans can be used, it's sort of like the same feeling. Yeah, the over over planning can be a uh, a burnout creator for sure. And then another thing that I think can become a problem is when you're not preparing enough. You know, you didn't think about the event over the weeks leading to it. You weren't really in touch with your unit. And now um, the event's in two days. You don't have anything packed. You don't know what the standards or regulations are. You don't know what you're supposed to bring. And now you're kind of asking the people in your unit to bring you up to speed, maybe about discussions that they've been having that they thought you were a part of for weeks. And it's just like, nobody likes that. You know, that's not pleasant either. If you don't have time before an event to be in touch with guys in your group and and plan for how the event is going to go so it, so that your expectations are managed and so that you're as ready as you can be maybe you're not able to go to the event even if you're free that weekend you know maybe you're like guys i'm sorry i can't i don't have time to like commit to uh prepping for this this one so i'm just going to focus on the next one a, a lot of the things that cause people to burn out i think could be avoided if they were more honest with themselves sometimes about what they really can do and what the, what the reality of, of the event is likely to be. You know, another strategy that I think is super important is just to be honest with yourself about how much free time you have, you know, and pace yourself. Um, if you, if your work makes you work on weekends and there's, there's no way out of that, like you're not really going to be able to do much in the way of reenacting. This reenactment events generally happen on the weekends. If you can only take off one weekend a year and you're married and your wife wants to use that weekend to go on a vacation, you're not going to really be able to do reenacting, you know. Um, so on the other hand, um, maybe you have all kinds of free time, but you also have other hobbies, you have other relationships and stuff. You, you need to make time for that stuff too. So you just... I think it's important for people to understand everyone who who has spent the money and the time to get involved in reenacting they, they enjoy it and everyone who enjoys reenacting wants to participate in reenactment events but that doesn't mean that every single person is going to be able to go to every event no one can really do that or, or nearly nobody so um you know just yeah understand that you can do yourself a lot more harm than good if you aren't mindful about the pace of the events that you're doing you know it's so true um uh, i've had like uh, shorter periods of burnouts and they have usually been from like just like trying to reach absolutely every event uh, possible and I remember one time um, I said to my girlfriend that I'm going to an event next weekend and she just said like uh, again another one and I'm like and I said yeah it's fun but then I started thinking like I'm actually doing it more out of a habit than actually enjoying myself because it's a lot of work trying to do it every every weekend Right, I know. You, you go to the event, you had a blast, and immediately you want to transition to, okay, when can we do this again? Look, not every event is going to be equally good. You know, Some events, uh, the weather might negatively impact it, or um, you know, the, the combination of people isn't the same, or whatever it is. So if you're, sometimes you can get into this thing where you have this awesome event, 
and you try to basically repeat that experience in a, in a few weeks, uh, but this time the, the magic isn't there for whatever reason, and that can cause, cause a drop in morale. Totally. I, I also think that being a part of a team is like a huge way to avoid burnout for a bunch of different reasons. And by a team here, this could be uh, some people who you work with, together with in your unit where you're working on a project together. It can be your unit as a whole, or it can be, you know, people that you run events with or um, other people in other units in your area that you work together with or whatever it is, right? However you want to define team. Um, but when you are reenacting not as part of a team, then everything that you do, it all falls on you. You can't rely on other people necessarily to be the other moving parts in your reenactment fantasy. It, it has to be you, and that's a lot of work. Um, and also, all of the motivation has to come from you. All of the ideas have to come from you. you know. And that, that's really hard for any one person to do, whereas when you're a part of a team... You guys are working together, motivating each other. You don't have to come up with all of the ideas. You know, you're going to have other people bouncing ideas off of you. And those ideas can help uh, give you pers different perspectives, see things a little differently. They can make you more excited about it. Um, and then sometimes, too, if you're a part of a team and you have limited time prior to an event or you're just not really super feeling it, you know, then maybe let somebody else uh, take take the wheel for a little while, you know, uh, allow yourself to be um, a part of somebody else's vision. And sometimes that can be, you know, super fun, um, you know, and you can kind of delegate responsibilities. Hey, you know, I, um, I'm falling behind in, in planning for the, I don't know, the food aspect of the event or um, I, I haven't reached out yet to these other units that I said I was going to talk to. I haven't had time. Can someone else do it? And someone else can pick up the slack. And, you know, it's the whole thing goes so much more smoothly. Oh, very. Um, just like delegating uh, different responsibilities for event planning helps a lot uh, in my unit to uh, vary the events. Yeah, totally. Um, somebody else can can do their idea. And maybe... The idea for a given event that somebody else came up with doesn't sound like the best possible idea, um, and maybe it's not the best idea, but maybe that's okay, you know, because it's going to be something different. It's going to be something uh, looking at things the way someone else wanted to do it, and that stuff can be, uh, you know, adds, adds variety that's so important to, to not get bored with this stuff. So I guess uh, the last thing we have to talk about is people who are feeling burned out. You know, what are the ways that you can get out of your bad mood or whatever you want to call it? Um, you know, and I guess the obvious one is to try something new. And like what we were discussing before, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to try a new time period or a new impression or buy a whole new uniform. You know, it can be something very subtle, you know, that could maybe some something that you never really thought about before. Like, you know, I think about all the different ways that I approach reenactment, you know, with this bunker site where we're building these underground bunkers versus, you know, just the years that I spent sleeping in tents and the different ways that I configure tents, the different 
ways, you know, that different settings in which we use the tents or um, the paperwork stuff that I do. All of these things are things that I can kind of walk away from for a little while if I want. And then if I feel like um, what I'm doing is kind of get stagnant, I can revisit something that I haven't done in a while. Or I can, tr I could try something totally new. I could, you know, get into uh, getting my field phones operational, using a switchboard in the field or... Um, you know, I've I've got this like machine gun impression that I'm working on with the with the Ch Czechoslovakia machine gun. All of this stuff um, that is just different, you know, and uh, it doesn't have to be stuff that costs money necessarily, and it doesn't have to be stuff that requires a new impression. Or or maybe it might, you know. I uh, I do really enjoy doing the events as Soviet as kind of a change of pace, you know. I. I think it's great to have one main impression and that's what I have. I don't have a ton of different impressions, but I do have a kind of a side impression that um, it's, a, it's a cool, like I say, it's a cool change of pace for me. Um, you know, if you're bored with reenacting, uh, maybe maybe pick up a, a, a book, a memoir from a soldier or whatever and read it and, and see if maybe there's something in there that sparks your imagination again that you can feel passionate about. Yeah, you know, Lasse, you must go through the same kind of thing. Uh, yeah, well, I always try to um, change stuff. I got a propaganda company impression. I could always throw one to uh, do something entirely different, for example. Right, and, you know, you've got your unit and uh, you've got the truck. You know, you've got all of these different projects, the, the barracks thing that you're working on. Yeah. If you felt, I'm sure that if you felt like you were spending too much time working on the truck, it wouldn't uh, torpedo that project if you took a month or two off of that and focused on something else in that time. Exactly. Uh, prior to the Belgium event, we actually had a very focused um, period of time where we only worked on the truck to prepare it for the Belgium event. And I mean, um, I'm very glad we did it and it was necessary for the Belgium event. But if if it wasn't for the Belgium event we did it for, we, I, I think the project would get like a burnout. Sure. I think it was every weekend for five weeks or something like that. It was insane amount of work. That's a lot. But then we had the Belgium event to look forward to, and that helps. Yeah, that's a, that's a way to get excited for an event. And then after the event, I'm sure that you guys weren't back to working on that truck every week. <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely not. I mean, apart from regular maintenance work, we didn't even look at a truck for a while. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable way to go about doing it. For me, you know, I guess kind of like a last resort thing when I'm really feeling like I just do not want to do reenactment stuff is to take a break from it, a mindful break where you maybe tell the people in your group, um, hey, uh, you know what, I, I need to take a break from this stuff, I'm going to go on hiatus, you know, uh, keep me keep me on the email list, but you might not hear from me too much for a little while, or or even maybe you know take me off the email list, or or you don't look at the Facebook group, or you don't look at the forum, or whatever, you know, and just in my experience, uh, it's not uncommon at all for people to do this, it, it, and it can be a bigger or a smaller break, right? It could it could mean just skipping an event, just being like, hey guys, um, I'm I'm not going to make it to this event. I got other plans that weekend. You know, and uh, and I think that that can be really healthy and, and positive and uh, help you to 
remember how much you like reenacting and the things that you liked about it, you know, and then you can come back to it with renewed energy rather than forcing yourself to do a fun hobby that isn't fun for you at a, any particular time. If you need to take a break, take a break. There's no shame in it. There's no problem with it. And uh, you'll probably be back before you know it anyway, you know, because you want to, not because you feel like you have to, because you feel obligated or out of habit or anything like that. Whenever I'm tired of stuff, I'll, I usually just take a break from it and can come back uh, later. And if your unit is active, taking a break wouldn't be an issue because you can, like, say, take a four, five, six-month break and then just get back on the train. Right. Other, you know, the other, the unit keeps on going. The events keep on going. And when they're when you're ready to go back with a renewed sense of excitement and fun, then it's all there. It's all there waiting for you still. And it's better, as you say, to take a break than to force yourself to do something you don't enjoy anymore because that's just going to pull you further down the uh, burnout hole. Totally. The more you force yourself, the more burned out you're going to get. And the more burned out you get, the harder it is to get back into the groove of, of being excited about it and enjoying it. Yeah. I've seen this thing happen where guys get burned out. They've been to some bad events. They've been involved in some drama and they just um they get really frustrated and then they rage quit you know where there's an email that goes out to everyone in the unit hey uh i hate you guys i hate reenacting um all my stuff is for sale never talk to me again and they sell all of their stuff and then a year later it's uh Hey guys, I really miss reenacting. Uh, does anyone have any like gear that I could buy? Because I want to get back into it, you know. And that is like a super embarrassing thing when that happens. I've seen that happen a bunch of times. <laughs> I've not seen people uh, be angry and rage quit, but I have seen people who rage sell all of their equipment and then want to get back, and then they have the problem and they need to buy everything again, so they don't come back. Yes, it's very, very rare. I've seen a lot of people quit, sell everything, try to come back. And of those people, very, very few actually succeed. Because it's hard to, it's hard to make the sacrifice to buy your kit the first time. It's, I think it's even harder to make that sacrifice to buy it all again, knowing that you had it all and you sold it all. You know, um, and now, you know, when you sold it, you probably lost some money because you bought some of the stuff new and now you're selling it used and it's a little less expensive. You know, now you've got to buy it again and you, you know, maybe use stuff in your size isn't available. So you have to buy it new again. And it's, it seems to me that it's harder to get back into reenacting after you have completely gotten out than it is to get into it in the first place. I agree. Uh, we actually had a guy who got a reenactor burnout and um, uh, he didn't rage quit or anything, but he stopped attending events and eventually after a year he sold all his equipment because he realized he wasn't going to get back into it. And then I think three years later he said he was considering joining again and then he started looking at uh, everything he had to buy and he started regretting selling everything he had. And I haven't heard from him since, sadly. He was, a, he was a good guy. Yeah, that's too bad. That's a common story, you know. I, 
when 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 people come to me and they say, Chris, you know, I just the the passion isn't there right now, and uh, you know, I'm thinking about selling my stuff. I always tell people, do not sell your stuff, not right away. You know, give it a good while. You know, the value of your stuff is not going to decrease. The if you don't need the money right now, and you can afford to just if, if you have the space to just store this stuff in a trunk or whatever, just do that um, for now, you know. And I've seen many, many, many people in in such a state of burnout that they were, you know, borderline quitting, you know, they were or basically quitting, right? And then they later came back and um, were very happy, very successful reenactors doing a lot of events again because circumstances in their life changed or, you know, this has true with anybody. Your interests change over time, you know. You might be really into, like I have a lot of different hobbies and sub-hobbies, even in my collecting stuff. Like, okay, I'm really interested in collecting uh, armbands right now and then the next month I'm really interested in collecting field gear and then I'm really interested in collecting typewriters and like lately I've been doing like postage stamps and, and I've been looking at like coins and stuff lately. Um, but I would never sell the stuff in my collection that I'm not like super into at any given time because maybe next month maybe that I'm going to be back to studying uh, paperwork again or or uh, you know mess kits or whatever it is. Um, and it's the same it's the same with reenacting and, and other hobbies. You know, I do I might uh, take be really really into film photography at one time and then I might go a few months without shooting any film or um, you know there's a million things like that and it, and it's like that with reenacting. I have other hobbies too. I'm in a band and, um, you know, I like to do all kinds of various outdoor stuff. I do amateur archaeology and stuff. And all of these things can be more or less at the forefront of my mind at any given time. But all of these things kind of remain constants in my life, even if I'm not like, you know, like my band, right? I Sometimes I... I don't even think about it. I hate it, right? Sometimes I just, I really even hate it. But then other times I really love it and I'm glad that it's there for me. It can be a creative outlet or I get to just hang out with my friends or travel with them and it's fun, whatever. Selling your kit should be like the very, when you are just 1,000% certain that you never want to take the field again and this is a part of your life that you are shutting the book on, that's when you sell your kit. Um... Because if you do it earlier than that, you might really regret it. I've just seen this so, so many times. And it's just really hard to get back in after you've sold your kit. I've seen a lot of guys who took a long break, who basically quit. But then when they still had their kit and they came back into it. And I've seen a lot of guys who sold their kit and then contacted me and were kicking the tires about joining again. And wanted to meet up with the guys again and stuff. But... But very, very, very few of those guys actually did put together a whole kit again. You know, that, that like almost never happened. So, yeah, don't, don't sell it until like you're 100% sure you'll never go back. Exactly. And you may feel like that when you quit, but don't sell it immediately. Give it a good while, as you say. I don't hold it against people when uh, they quit reenacting. Other reenactors in this hobby, they like don't owe me participation in reenactment, right? Reenactment is a thing that everyone does purely for fun on their old term, on their own terms. And if it's not fun, don't do it. But I would uh, just encourage people not to quit anyway because I think it's really fun. And, uh, you know, there's definitely ways for everybody to participate in this hobby in a way that's fun because it's super fun.
100% agreed. It's fun. Ultimately, it's fun. And that's why everybody should do it. I agree. All right. I think that's about going to wrap it up on this topic. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, I'm kind of burned out from this discussion. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, we could do like a sub episode. It's like, what do you do when you get burned out about hosting a reenactor podcast? I don't know. I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> so look, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you very much to the Patreon supporters. We really appreciate your support, without which we wouldn't be able to keep doing this stuff. Um, totally. And to Lassa and everybody else, stay safe, get out there, do something awesome, and I will see you in the field. See you in the field. Before we go, you may want to check out Fela Kopf over at german-worldwar2.com, that is german-ww2.com, where they sell lots of pocket litter and a lot of cool paperwork stuff. And you can get 7% off of your next purchase there by using the discount code PODCAST2020, that is PODCAST2020, at checkout. Once again, uh, and as always, thanks to Mike, a.k.a. Retroman, for editing this podcast. Thanks, Mike.